The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora and welcome to Paper Cuts. It's the podcast all about books. Welcome. Um, as usual, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at papercutspod and you can email us at papercutspod at gmail.com. I am one of your hosts, Karen Das, and I am thrilled to be in, sitting in between the wonderful Gina Todd. And Louisa Cossa. Got a Karen sandwich. I wasn't sure if I was going to get my own epithet. <laughs> the rose between two thorns. Um, so we have it's lots rude. of. <laughs> I know it is, eh? Uh, today we have the usual menu of book news, book reviews, not books, and the to be read pile. Woo-woo. So how about we start with some book news? Let's do it. Does that sound good? Okay. So first up, we have um, An Evening with Arandati Roy, um, which is an AWF, Auckland Writers' Festival, special event. Um, of course, Arandati Roy is the political activist, human rights and environmentalist activist, um, and she'll be talking at the Victory Convention Centre in Freemans Bay, Auckland. Oh, that's a good name, Victory. Yeah, it's where I chaired a session with Sarah J. Mass. Oh, oh it's where's quite... Freemans Bay again? Freemans Bay, do you know the amazing college? Hill, um, oh, yes. the new world that has the best cheese yes, in yes, Auckland. Yes. Okay, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's just down the road from there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> some local context for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> best supermarket, College Hill. Um, and that is uh, July the 17th. And of course, aside from her wonderful activism and so on, also mm. a famed novelist. She won the Man Booker Prize in 1997 for A God of Small Things. Mm. So you've read that, haven't you, Karen? I've read that. I read that um, the year after it won the Man Booker Prize. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying my memory of it is quite dusty, but all I remember is this really lush, evocative atmosphere and um, also quite sad. Mm. Um, but maybe that, I don't know, there was just, maybe a bit that I could connect to. Um, She is Indian, as am I. So, yeah. Um, And she had a book in 2017, which was the Ministry of Utmost Happiness. Ah, That was the novel. I almost read God of Small Things. um, (laughs) Me too, so many times. When I was uh, moving overseas for the first time. To Korea. To Korea. And I was waiting in Wellington for my visa and my... Dear friend Ashley took me to Vic Books where she used to work and she mm. said, I'm going to buy you the best book that I've ever read, The God of All Small Things. And it wasn't in stock. And she has very intense ADD, so it's quite hard to get her to concentrate on anything. But I just felt like I was an upside down world and I just couldn't I just couldn't read it and it yeah. just sat on my shelf and I actually brought it back to New Zealand with me and I think it's in Dunedin at my parents' ah. house. Uh, I, I will read it was, one day. I think there was a copy on the shelf at my parents' place growing up. I just never it quite got to it. one of those books, it. yeah. And now I'm sort of like, oh, God, if I could just grab it now. Um, but it's I've got it on hold for the library. And this, that's the nice thing about these kind of events is that they can be the little push you need to finally read that classic book that you've always meant to read. How many yeah. are on hold at the library? Like, how, what's the... the? Oh, I think it was like in the 30s for how many? Um, that's not too I bad. I was like 30-something in the queue. Mm, yeah. yeah um, it's probably bad. gone up by now as more people have heard mm, about the event. The, the event, yeah. Those I, library, um, you know, those, those library goers, they're savvy. They're well, so savvy. It really interests me as a recent resurgence for myself going to the library of like looking at the holds list yeah I think even as booksellers it's interesting to look yeah. at but yeah with the lazy boys I got that out and then I just never read it I didn't have time and uh, then I buy Carl Sugar and I put it back yeah. 
And then I went to get it out again, and it has six holes yeah. on it. Yeah. Do you know, um, so I have insiders that work at the library, Ooh. and um, whenever I do a review on RNZ, they will tell me, uh, Karen, after your review on RNZ, there are now 93 holds on ah, that book, which I just find um, it's really cool getting that little information. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got one of the books that you reviewed recently on hold. Yes. It's that one on the table, yes. which we'll, we'll talk we'll about get later. To that. We'll get to that. I put that on hold too, but then I took it off because I got a copy of it. <laughs> I think I'm just going to um, buy it. I can't wait. But speaking of the AWF, okay, you remember yes. that um, when you last met us, we were deep in the bowels of the Aotea Centre reporting live um, from the Auckland Writers' Festival. And now you can actually listen to a selection of podcasts from the sessions at the Auckland Writers' yeah. Festival. Recordings of the sessions themselves. Recordings of the sessions themselves. It's such a great resource. So if you, you know, missed out on anything or if you want to revisit it, you can head to writersfestival.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts from. And, um, of course, I chaired a session with Elaine Castillo, and that's up online for you to listen to. So go and have, have a, a hone. Yeah. <laughs> have a hone. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? Um, did we want to talk about... Pans, or did you want to go straight on to women's prize? Go to women's prize. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the women's uh, the winner of the women's prize was announced on the fifth of June. Uh, the winning title was um, an American marriage by oh my god I didn't write down <laughs> the details by Tyree something something beginning with T. Hold on, you keep talking about it and I'll Google okay. it. An American Marriage. Um, and I am the one out of us that has read this book. Um, it actually came out quite a while ago. It came out early last year. January last year. January 2018. When I was at the uh, Winter, Winter Institute in Memphis last year, this was the book. This and Educated were the books that they were pumping right. up. Right. Yeah. Um, so this book is, it is the story of an American marriage, as the title would suggest. It's about a young and a young couple, a, you know, they're like young, beautiful, ambitious couple, um, you know, black African-American couple in Atlanta, Georgia. And they're sort of, they're, they've only been married for a year. They're sort of looking to the future. And um, the husband is accused of a crime that he did not commit and he is incarcerated. And... It's kind of from there what happens is you sort of it plays out how do people respond to an impossible situation? Mm -hmm. You know, decent people, but in an impossible situation, you know, how what is this gentle man going to what, what's he going to be like when he and, and um, it's not really a spoiler. It's in the blurb. He gets released early because they realize that they they really fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes home. And of course, his wife has kind of moved on with her life and because she's young and so she was, you know, getting on with things. She's got a career. She's possibly got a new partner. And did she know whether he was innocent or not? Or is that part she of the knew story? he was innocent? Like right. it was very obvious that he was innocent. It was like a blatant miscarriage of justice. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that the way that the author did we get her name by the way? Uh, Tayari Jones. Yeah, I think it might be Tyree, but I'm just okay. I'm just assuming that that's the case. I like to take guesses at how you pronounce people's names. Yeah, I'm just, I'm reading it um, phonetically. <laughs> um, yeah, so she um, in the start of the book she has a letter that she writes to the reader about what prompted the book which was that she heard a young couple in a restaurant saying, you know, the girl said, you know, look, you wouldn't have waited for me for five years. Mm -hmm. And the man responding, well, this wouldn't have happened to you. You wouldn't have gone to jail. Oh. Um, and that's what, so yeah. Great um, catalyst for a really story. Great, really great catalyst, um, really great origin story for the novel. Um, the book itself, I found that I sort of struggled to get through it, I think possibly because it was quite traumatic the trauma of what was happening was was really well conveyed to the point where I sometimes just didn't want to keep reading. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was extremely, you know, it felt extremely real. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, I'm really pleased that it won the Women's Prize. And so mm -hmm. she would have got um, £30,000, which mm -hmm. is a pretty princely sum, mm -hmm. which is great. Any novelist getting that, that amount of money is always something to celebrate. It's like five years' um, yeah. wages. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I think, I think I saw something recently that said, like, you know, people who are freelance writers, they can expect to make, like, you know, 10, 10 to 15 grand a year. <laughs> Why do you think I have another job? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so many do. Um, so I'm pleased that it won. But I did read some of the other books on the shortlist that were really excellent. Um, 
I read Circe by Madeline Miller, which I really enjoyed in a sort of escapist kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I also read Freshwater um, by, oh, God, Akweki Emetsi, who mm-hmm. is a Nigerian author. And that's a really cool book about kind of the intersection of um, traditional spirituality and um, modern definitions of schizophrenia and um, mm-hmm. mental illness. Um, and I really recommend those books as well. Great. It's a good shortlist to read your way through. Have you read Jessamyn Ward before? Yes, I read um, Salvage the Bones. Because I feel like is America, an American marriage kind of in that category of quite tra- trauma-based? Um, I guess so, but it's a totally different like social context mm-hmm. because these people are kind of um, – they're young, up-and-coming you know, black middle class, almost bourgeoisie, mm-hmm. um, and and then of course, but then again, they are still affected by the systematic problems of the USA. And I think um, Tyree Jones called it um, called mass incarceration. You know, the boogeyman mm-hmm. of modern American culture, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. it's pretty apt. Yeah, it was it's a fairly horrifying read, but mm-hmm. a really really interesting one. I'm I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to read it. One yeah. of Obama's favorite books. Yes. Of yeah, I remember people were asking for that book after he yeah. put it on his list. And yeah. um, in an interview, she spoke about the fact that how nice it was that they once had a president who read books. Oh, <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. And people always, you know, in independent bookshops will always ask for Obama's picks. I was watching um, the uh, Anthony Bourdain episode in Hanoi in Vietnam where he oh, goes yeah. to and has a, a dinner with Obama and it's like, yeah. oh, we live in a world where Anthony Bourdain is not alive anymore mm. and Obama's no longer the president. It was very depressing. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah, really sad. And that was only a few years ago. Mm. So, but yeah. Sup, well, note, sup Obama. <laughs> we salute you. Um, <laughs> Great review, yeah. uh, Lou. Thank oh, you. I thought you meant Obama's review. Yeah, thank you. No. I don't think me he reviewed Obama, it. It was just on his list. Me and Obama both have great taste. Mm, you do. Um, what's next? Should we talk about Pan? Oh, yeah. So, Before Pan, we forget, because it's not on the list. Pan's Book Design Awards is uh, nigh. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, it is, uh, is that how you're feeling about it? It is upon us. And um, I'm... I'm really thrilled to be uh, invited back. I can't believe they yeah, won returning. another bar of me. Um, returning to be a judge. Um, and this, of course, is judging the best book design um, for books in New Zealand. And um, so there are seven categories. And we've done, whittled it down, got our shortlist. We whittled it down from over 100 books down to over 40 across seven categories. And... The awards ceremony will be July 25 um, in Ponsonby, I think the Sapphire Room, is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Something about blue in a room. So I am very uh, in the thick of spending a lot of time with a lot of beautiful um, and beautifully designed New Zealand books. So anyone can come to that event, and it's quite fun. You all... Yeah, we went last year. year. I always, it's quite lovely. I always try and get in there. Good yeah, I think it's like fifty dollars for a ticket, so it's not super cheap. But you get some, you get some good food. You get some wines. canapes and wine. Um, I yeah. ate a lot last year. I so remember did I. eating a lot. The food was good last Even year. Even I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great. So that has been fun. So, also our convening judge David Covington, who is just wonderful. He is just such a. He is just lovely to work alongside and just is so generous and thoughtful and I love his insights. He was interviewed on RNZ's Standing Room Only um, this Sunday, just gone. Um, But you can find that online on the Standing Room Only um, page on RNZ. Um, So he was interviewed a little bit about our process through that. So if anyone's interested, they can check that out. Cool. I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah. And um, what have we got next? Um, Do you want to talk about Toby Faber? Toby Faber. So you guys know that I talk you about Faber <laughs> books all the time. Fangirl. Um, no, I'm not a fangirl. Oh. I just really love Faber books and what they publish. Um, and also I'd like to thank them for sending me um, a really beautiful Sally Rooney, normal people, enamel lapel pin. Fancy. Um, You're it's in. so fancy. It's so lovely. Um, but 
They've just turned 90, Faber Books, so to celebrate their 90th um, anniversary, they've published a book called Faber and Faber, The Untold Story, and it's um, of a great publishing house. It's written by Toby Faber, who is the grandson of Jeffrey Faber, who is the founding um, publisher of Faber Books, and... It is such a great read. I think you both would love it. It's written, it's kind of, it's not dry. It's not a dry history book. It is made up of letters, memoranda, kind of ephemera, and it's little snippets of letters to each other from publishers and authors. It's really funny, really charming, really delightful, Ooh. and kind of like um, Diary of a Bookseller, but for the publishing world. We love Diary of a Bookseller. So. Yeah, so, you know, you guys would love it because it's just all these great little insights. Oh, um, I'm definitely excited to read that. So T.S. Eliot, of course, was um, the publisher's first editor. And um, there's great correspondence with him. Um, oh, Tales yeah. from the Slush Pile, which I just really loved. Lord of the Flies by William Golding um, mm-hmm. was rescued from the slush pile. Oh, really? Um, great anecdotes. Ulysses by um, James Joyce, of course. Um, they didn't publish that, and he was so irate. He called them Feebler and Fumbler. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't stop him from publishing Finnegan's Wake with yeah, them. So he sort of went crawling so. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they turned down uh, George Orwell, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. George Orwell. Um, just, oh, there's a great quote. Unreadable. Reject. <laughs> um, there's nothing sassier than what's written on the slush pile yeah. manuscripts. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Toby Faber for the New Zealand Herald. Um, and we can't link it because it's premium content, apparently. <laughs> hey, well, we could link it and then people who maybe sign yeah, up to I premium know. content. Because people, people may well be. be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any of those people. No, no. Rich um, people. Rich people. Yeah, yeah. So, but the exciting thing is that – so Toby Faber is actually amazing. He's written two um, – well, he's written two previous non-fiction books that are narrative non-fiction, and one is about Fabergé's eggs, and the other one is about one of the greatest violin makers. And he kind of has this knack of finding an interesting story and kind of unraveling it. Um, but he, the exciting thing is that he will be in New Zealand, and he's doing two talks, one in Auckland on the 30th of July and one in Wellington on August the 5th. So you can see him in conversation. And in one of those sessions, he'll be in conversation with me. <laughs> you uh, can't avoid me. I'm yeah. just everywhere. Sorry. You've take, you're have you're, you're on the book news. You're I'm, book I'm taking news over. Heavy. I'm really sorry about that. Don't um, apologize. You're the knowledgeable Never one. apologize for being in the news. <laughs> <laughs> what else have we got? So, well, we're going to go on to book reviews now. And yeah. one of the themes of the book reviews that we're doing today is the International Booker Prize, which was formerly known as the Man Booker International and this was just announced Last two or three weeks ago. When was that? Recently. Recently. Yeah. And yeah. the winner of the International Man Booker Prize was Celestial Bodies by Joka Ahati. And so she is from Oman and she is the first Omani female author to be translated into English. And this was translated by Marilyn Booth. So mm. the I think we've talked about this before, but the translator and the author get half the prize mm. money each. So the judges have said that the book is subtle, lyrical, profound, and has delicate artistry, which in my reading of the book, I would totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) What are you laughing for? I'm laughing because Karen's laughing. (laughs) I was was just fiddling with something. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that went... Quite off the Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Okay. Gina. Did they have something to do with what I said, or was it? No, no, no. Good? I okay. was laughing at Karen, who was laughing. Okay, at gotcha, something. Gotcha. And I was laughing because Tina was laughing. I just looked up, and everybody was laughing. I'm so um, sorry. That okay. must have been horrible. That's okay. I'll, I'll survive. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Celestial Bodies has this big cast of characters. You've got three generations and three families in this fictional village of. Al Awafi, mm-hmm. um, and so the but the bones of the book is set around these three sisters: Maya, Esma, and Kuala. I'm really sorry for my Arabic pronunciation because I'm just doing that thing where you read it, and that's what I've got in my head. Um, so the 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 chapters are kind of like there's a a chapter by 
usually one of the women, and then there's this constant of a character called Abdallah, who's Maya's husband, who actually narrates most of the novel, and he's the son of this very wealthy merchant. And then we follow the lives of the merchant's family slaves, um, mostly this character called Zarifa who raised Abdallah. So it's just a little book. It's 250 pages, but it's really, it's quite a slow read. Like last weekend, I thought, oh, I'll knock this off in the last few days, but I actually haven't mm. quite finished it mm. yet um, because there's lots of characters to keep hold of, which reminds me of my brilliant friend. You have mm. the family tree in the front and I'm constantly going back to find out uh, who's who again. But now I'm now I'm in, I'm in. And um it captures the changes in such a strong culture, so the abolishment of slavery and women being able to choose who they marry, and these changes are happening really quickly between these three generations. And it's just, as the judges said, that it's really subtle. It is a really subtle book. It's not going to punch you in the face, but it's, I mean, I really know nothing about Oman apart from what I've read in this mm. book and so I've been googling and mm. finding out what's and looking at pictures of it and it's such a beautiful um, looking country and the culture is so rich and it's quite spiritual I love how um, the book was first published in 2010 and the, the title in Arabic translates to Ladies of the mm. Moon and I, I love how the translator has changed that to Celestial Bodies. I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful title. That's the interesting thing, I think, to me, the art of translation. I really love that this is a prize that recognises that kind of dexterity that's required in translating text and to kind of bring language alive and do it justice and not, not it's not just about being literal. It's mm. about kind of making that language beautiful Um those kind of judgment calls mm. that a translator has to make. Yeah. I mean, Celestial Although Bodies is it, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And and some translators might go for the literal path and, and making something that's very exact. You know, it sort of depends on the context. Um, well, after reading Drive Your Plough um, by Olga Tolkachek, which I reviewed last time, which mm. was also shortlisted, I found that quite so witty. It's like, how does she get the wit of the Polish into mm. English? And I was saying to Karen the other day that I found Mar I found Marilyn Booth's um, translation quite plain because it's such a short book, it's very direct. Um, but then there is a character in this book, Asma, who's very into literature mm. and reading. And so there's lots of references to her family library and what she's and quotes from poets and mm. great Arabic poets and and so I'm just I'm really enjoying it as a very subtle read. I saw this beautiful video from the Times of Oman and it's showing footage of Jokka arriving uh, back from the airport after she won the the prize and it has these big banners saying Oman is proud of you Aww. and you know for a small country yeah. the, the prize is such a big thing and um, so yeah it's a, it's. I think it's from quite a small publishing house. It's um, um, a Scottish, a small Scottish imprint called Sandstone Press, and it's just so cool that um, they picked that up. Yeah, That's so it, it will just give it another. It will have its give life it boost. from 2010, yeah. and then published into English, and then winning this will give it so much more of a life. And then, um, Karen, you have also a book that maybe you thought should have won the prize, but you mm -hmm. haven't read oh, Celestial no. Bodies. No, yet. Um, I mean, I mean, I think the shortlist is always so solid and so interesting. But I mean, I've already reviewed this book, The Years by Annie Erno on RNZ, but I feel like it would be really remiss of me to not mention it here. because I want to hear more. It is actually the best book that I have read all year. And this was um, shortlisted yeah. for the International Booker Prize this as well. This is the one that I've got on hold from the library after hearing right. a review. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like 60-something. Right. <laughs> I was many. nine when I put my name oh, down. You were fast. <laughs> See, there's, the, there's your review stats going I <laughs> love up. it. Um, but yeah, so this is translated from the French and um, it's it's a really hard one to talk about because it's I've never read anything like this book before and I would love to hear of other people that might have. It's just astonishingly unique. Um, it's a radical approach to the memoir because it's where autofiction, history, sociology and biography intersect and come together. Um, and I think one of the best ways to describe it is that while it's a memoir and it's written by Annie Erno and it starts with her birth in 1940 Normandy uh, during the Second World War, it's actually a collective biography. 
Um, so what is that? She's actually charting the decades from her birth and sweeps through politics and the arts and history and um, it just spans her complete lifespan. There's no I or we, so um, it's all... Um, no, there's no me. Yeah, there's no me. <laughs> yeah, there's no me. It's it's we. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't, didn't we speak about a book that was written in that same way? Yeah, I think mm, I recently. reviewed it and I can't what remember what it? it was. Or was it me that reviewed it? Oh, God, I can't remember. <laughs> Well, it was one of you because it yeah. wasn't me. Okay, <laughs> it was me. It was me, and I don't know what the book is. Okay. I'm sorry, but maybe I'll remember. It's ringing a bell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she kind of calls it a compilation of abbreviated memories, and so she's she's recording her personal experience against a backdrop of wider social and cultural events as they kind of happened. Um, so you kind of move through feminism, immigration, unemployment, the pill, legalisation of abortion, um, the AIDS crisis, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and all this kind of um, commentary about the consumerist society and how we've become that increasingly so. Um, and she writes really amazingly about, you know, just news of the first heart transplant mm. and how that just kind of bugged everybody out. Um, mm. Wow, we're one step uh, further away from death because this is something that we can do that's amazing the first color tv the walkman um and it doesn't matter i think if you were born in 1940 or born in france because so much of this is um resonant and there are all these jolts of recognition as you're reading it and one thing that i sort of thought was some of it is kind of, I mean, she writes about the Y2K, you know, like that kind of moral panic about Y2K and the meltdown. And some of it is so kind of like recent that it's almost like we've forgotten about mm. this. It, because hasn't, it's, it hasn't ripened into history yet. That's right. It's so kind of um, recognisable and immediate. Um, and I read that she spent decades taking notes in preparation for this book that she was just recording everything and taking notes and I feel like that this is her almost like her life's work it's her kind of um, opus if you will and I just there's one line where she writes that the family narrative and social narrative are one and the same and I think that's what she's done with this book she sort of brought it all together really beautifully and the other point that I really want to to make about it was that it's this just this beautiful departure from women's writing um, and women's memoir particularly that you know has to be about domestic spaces and domestic mm. life this is um it's really generous and it's really inclusive it's kind of all of us and in that sense it's really majestic and it's wide scope and it's absolutely extraordinary and I just found it a real tonic to read um, and was so thrilled and excited by it. Um, I want everyone to read it. I think it's just amazing. I'm reading it in two books time. Mm, two <laughs> books time, you've got yeah. it lined up. Yeah. Um, so Annie Erno. Uh, it was published by Fitzcarraldo Editions which is one of my favourite little imprints. They do, they're exciting, really, they really exciting are. little um, publisher and there's also um, Seven Stories Press that do an edition of it as well. Um, but there's actually another book I just wanted to give a really quick shout out to as well, and that's Saltwater by Jessica Andrews. And it would feel remiss of me to not mention that too, because that's one of my favourite um, fiction fiction works um, that I've read this year. And you've read it, Jenna. Yep, loved it. It's beautiful. And um, Louisa is about to read it, but mm -hmm. it just—it was just a novel that really knocked me for six. It's really velvety and sensuous and really elusive in terms of um, kind of setting and the inner world of a young woman and it's about a young woman who moves between the gross, sort of grubby bustle of London um, and she moves to the rugged Irish coast and um, and it's about her mother her relationship with yeah. her mother which is such a a nice it's always thing a to rich explore. ground, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and, yeah, one thing I really liked about how she explored the relationship with the mother is how that relationship can be almost as intense and intimate as intimate relationships. She's sort of, ah, oh, she's the way she writes about it is so kind of um, intense and beautiful, and she's always seeking her mother. And I feel like there are always these men, whether it's the father or um, her mother's boyfriends um, after her father, 
they're always kind of in between them mm. and just these beautiful kind of evocative scenes about that. But it's a work about um, class and it's about the body and it's about place and fragility and relationships. And it's a work of autofiction, but one thing I really loved about it too is that it's a working class novel and it's very much firmly entrenched in um, what it is to be a working class person um, that goes into middle class worlds. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful book. It's really beautiful, and um, there's this one bit where Lucy, the character, says that living in a new place can go either way. You can cling to the signifiers of yourself to test, or you can test them um, and blow them apart. Um, and it's presented as these really beautiful uh, clipped lyrical pieces. Yeah, beautiful book. I really recommend that. And um, after I reviewed that book on RNZ, I was so thrilled and surprised to receive a beautiful hardback edition of Saltwater that um, Jessica Andrews had signed for me um, after hearing my review. So thank you, Jessica. That, that really means a lot that you uh, listened and yeah. took the time and effort. I really appreciated that. Well, it means a lot. Like It, me- it means a lot for a New Zealand reviewer. You could see... You can see for that author, you're so far away. Oh, yeah. Physically, it's like, how did my little book get out there and yeah, and get a voice? But then, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, as a New Zealand reviewer at the bottom of the world, like, who cares? You feel like you're speaking <laughs> you know? into a vacuum sometimes. Yeah, totally. Sometimes. It's like, who cares? Yeah. What I, I say? Or just an echo chamber. I genuinely think that authors are really stoked. They're like, New Zealand? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just like the ultimate far-flung. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are two book recommendations from Great me. Great book reviews. Thank you, Karen. Um, well, I'm pleased that I got to go last because I feel like my book kind of carries on some of the themes that we've already talked about. So I am reviewing um, a book called, I keep on wanting to add the, but it's just called mm. Lost Children Archive. And it's by Valeria Luiselli. Um, if you're a really dedicated Paper Cuts listener, you might recall that I reviewed a book by her quite a while ago. It was called Faces in the Crowd. Mm-hmm. And I talked about kind of how um, interesting I found her really experimental, intertextual approach to to the writing. Um, I, I, you know, how impressive I found that and how I was looking forward to seeing what she did next. So this is her new novel, um, Lost Children Archive. It's a $33 paperback from Fourth Estate. I've actually got the hardback because it's from the library and it's really, really a beautiful object. And mm, Great cover. It's got a really great cover, and it also the typesetting is really gorgeous as well. You see that it's mm. sort of um, got all these little headings um, on this page. The oh, heading, I like the font of the, the headings. Font, the font of the headings is great, and the headings on this page are saliva and shuffle. <laughs> um, and then it also has um, sort of sections mm. that um, relate to archival boxes, and they, they, they itemise the contents of boxes anyway. Love that. Love that angle. I knew you would like it, Karen. <laughs> I knew that you would be into it. Um, so um, I should probably talk about what the book's roughly yeah. about, but it's it's, it's going to be hard, you guys. It's so hard to stay on track <laughs> because there's so much going on in this book. But really briefly, it's a road trip novel, um, but it also deals with, a, with the crisis of children being incarcerated at the border, um, mm-hmm. children who are trying to migrate to America. Mm-hmm. Um, So again, you know, it sort of ties in with an American marriage because it's a political, almost a polemical novel. You know, it has a point of view, a political point of view. But, um, you know, it was interesting earlier, Karen, you mentioned domesticity as something that women are expected to write about. And Mm -hmm. I think that this novel does both because it's about a a family, a, a blended family as I don't know, some people call it, and I guess I just called it, um, you know, a woman and her um, female daughter, a man and his male child. Um, they're both um, they're both sound recordists. I don't know if that's what you call it, but um, they've been working on a project together, um, recording the sounds of New York mm-hmm. for like a quite a big project, and they've been recording the various languages. And that project is coming to an end, and they are both starting to drift apart because they're pursuing their own projects. The woman's project, they don't have names, these characters, so you're just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> the woman's project is um, relating to the fact that she has befriended a woman whose children have tried to cross the border into the USA and they are missing. So her two, her two little girls who she's 
you know, she sewed her phone number into the back of their dresses and, um, you know, our protagonist, the woman in the relationship, she is going to make a documentary about, a sound documentary, an audio documentary mm-hmm. <laughs> about the border crisis, about, about these children who are being incarcerated and also the ones who go missing. And she's kind of grappling with how do you record the sound of something that is gone, mm-hmm. that is absent. Um, and her husband is kind of a prick. Um, he's going to record something about um, the Apaches, and he wants to move across the. He wants to go to Arizona and record there. And he's kind of like, "Well, come with me or don't," sort of thing. So they take off on a road trip with their two kids, and it, again, not a spoiler because it's in the blurb. This is the last road trip that they'll take together as a family. Mm-hmm. This family is exploding. How old are the kids? The kids are, I think, like five and nine. Okay. And I think that, you know, to go back to this domesticity thread, the relationship between the children and the parents is really beautifully done. It's it's funny and it's tender. Um, there's this moment where they're on the train in New York and the two children fall asleep and are looking really angelic. And then the girl starts emitting these long, sonorous farts and the boy is loudly snoring. <laughs> and, you know, they just have all these strangers kind of like looking over and kind of like laughing and smiling. And, you know, it's funny, but it's also really humiliating <laughs> for the parents. Um, yeah, so I think that, um, yeah, the archival thing is really interesting because mm-hmm. they're both, they both are keeping boxes full mm-hmm. of material. You know, they've got the journals of Susan Sontag. They've got, you know, clippings about um, children who have gone missing, trying to cross the border. And so the structure of this novel is really interesting. The the way, again, um, Louis Sally talks about um, how she is interested in, she calls it recombination, which is actually something that Gregory Kahn has talked about in relation to his work. Um, I reviewed his book, Under Glass, a little while ago. Um, and she, you know, she says that she's interested in recombination as not a mean, as not something to do to sort of show but a means to an end, you know, a way of creating, you know, and I think that that's really an interesting way of going about it. Um, what else did I want to say about this book? That book sounds amazing, Luke. Yeah. I really want to oh, read okay. it. okay. I'm yeah. glad you guys are on board. Sounds yeah. really good. Sounds <laughs> thank incredible. you. I mean, not yeah. thank you. I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that it's piqued your interest. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fabulous. I think that there's been quite a lot of buzz about it in the US, but mm. I don't think there's been that much here, and I hope that that changes because I think it's a really important book. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Um this book really goes into the um, kind of the ethics of writing about something that is not necessarily your story, but is a really urgent political matter. Mm. And um, this is a quote that I kind of picked from it at random. Um, Isn't art for art's sake so often an absolutely ridiculous display of intellectual arrogance? Mm. And the narrator wonders, um, you know, why would I even think that I can or should make art with someone else's suffering? So, you know, there's those two kind of pole there's that polarity of do you want to make something that's good art or do you want to make something that's politically sound and can you reconcile the two and that's my review wonderful uh, do you think has it just come out in paperback maybe it's, it's been, been up for a little while in paperback, in paperback. yeah it's been out mm. for a while in trade paperback does the, is the cover the same as it's the same one? cover oh, okay. well, um, it looks really familiar yeah 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 definitely so great go out and buy this book guys yeah Yeah. sounds great good one can't wait to read it so i think we are moving on to um not books eh i can't believe we're here already not books so we were actually all finding it quite hard to do (laughs) find a not book (laughs) it's gonna be a real mixed bag this week so busy and immersed in books it Uh, took me two weeks to recover from the writers' festival, so that's yeah. only two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were all exhausted. Yeah, yeah totally. It's been a hard time, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I've been like in- imbibing any culture that I would necessarily want to share. <laughs> um, did you want to go first, Lou, or do you? I think I'll go last because okay. mine's dumb. You go last, so you go, Jenna. Yeah, and then Jenna. I'll go I was after trying you. to remember what you said you were going to do, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's a well, surprise. This was. I don't think Lou knows yet. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. God damn it, Karen. Why'd you have to out me like that? <laughs> so we have this paper cuts pods drive. So we like just have a little document that we fill in. And so 
a month it was ages ago I put in Chernobyl by um, mm-hmm. the, the new TV show and then I felt like when I wrote that in it was like new and no one had ever heard of it and it was going to be really great to talk about but I was saying to Karen this morning I'm like I feel like everyone's watched this now yeah, I haven't but you too I haven't I know I haven't I mean, watched it so I'm dying to yeah, hear Karen said no I want to hear about yeah, yeah, I want about to hear it. what you've got to say I um, want to know how they can add to what's already such an incredible story by dramatising yeah. it and fictionalising it well, so tell me okay so Chernobyl is a five-episode miniseries that's based around the nuclear disaster of 1986, and it um, it's oh, what what can I say about it? It just sh- it shows in five episodes it shows the explosions, mm-hmm. of the the incident, and then the initial reaction by the people on the ground as well as the the political heavyweights behind it. It has the scientists coming in, um, miners and soldiers that were um, just like sent in to work on on the site with, you know, and the, all these people kind of just knew that they were going to die from it or have some kind of effects from it. Um, and then you also have the court hearing. Um, so it's kind of very neatly wrapped up. And then you, you have these local stories of, um, I, there were stories that I, like, especially there was like, that you could tell they needed a love story. Also, <laughs> and and that to me felt a little bit cheesy, but then I heard that it was based on a real person. It was um, a real couple. They were a couple who, he was one of the first firefighters sent in there straight after the explosion and then how the woman deals with that. And um, the show's actually mostly based on recollections of the locals that were collected by Svetlana Alexevich mm. and her book Voices from Chernobyl, um, which was published in Russian in 1997. Um, I hadn't heard of this book. I'd been thinking of this other book called Chernobyl History of a Tragedy by Sir, oh, all these names, Sir He mm. Plocky. Um, Did, didn't the book on Chernobyl that this is based on one win the Bailey Gifford? Or I, I think both of these books have won won prizes. Um, so I can't tell you which one it is but the Wikipedia told me Svetlana's book was the one it was based on um, but I saw Branovan Nangalingam um, tweeted about voices from Chernobyl uh, so it's it's like really stylized. It kind of reminds me of visually of um, in the colonies of The Handmaid's Tale mm. the fog episode of The Crown um, it's you know kind of the blues blue green tones of my brilliant friend it's like super beautiful amazing shots it's really gets quite graphic when you look in the hospital episodes of the people who were initially um in the explosion and what their body does it's like pretty disgusting um but i think amazing to watch um this stars the forever doomed jared harris from mad men and the crown he um the first ep- the first scene opens with him hanging himself, which is it seems to be <laughs> poor Snack poor Jared Harris. Catch a break, huh? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's it. I mean, I don't. I also I always knew of Chernobyl, but I was I was a baby at that time. Um, but it really puts the human aspect on it, and it get, captures that frustration, especially like that fog episode of The Crown. I don't know if you've seen that. It's like. No. The government or the people in charge completely denying what is happening as it's happening in front of them, and then there's other people being like, "No, you, you've got to fix it." So you feel very frustrated um, while watching it. Uh, I thought it's a beautiful show. I, it will be get all the awards. I'm How many sure. Episodes? Is it? Just um five. Five. Great. Yeah. Can I refer to a headline that I saw on social media, but didn't click on the article. Yeah, I, I think I know the headline. <laughs> That Russia is going to make their own. Yeah, they version? are. I've heard they <laughs> completely disagree. Something to that's look not forward the headline to. That I saw, oh, okay. What was the headline news? Do you want to? Mine's shout it not out? as cool as that. <laughs> Mine was about can people please stop taking selfies? Um, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's um, that's an yeah. selfies at Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. It's a. I yeah. guess it's that uh, dark tourism, uh, yeah. David Ferrier esque. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one criticism I saw a lot on Twitter of people were complaining about the accents yeah. of the <laughs> characters. So um, 
but I watched I don't even know where I watched it or read it or something but um, because most of the characters have these very like posh British accents or whatever their accent is but the, the directors just wanted the actors to speak as they speak because they thought putting on a, a Russian accent would be as um, is worse and yeah. kind of cartoonish. Yeah. Um, so I think initially they were all practicing these accents and mm. then it was, you know. So it's just um, one of the main characters is Swedish, so he's a Swedish accent, um, but, yeah, most of them are British accents. They that's had actually, no American actors. That's it. quite good insight from a director to sort yeah, of totally. pull away from any kind of artifice and, you know, just be like, oh, let's go for realism. Yeah, and just, the tell the, and just tell yeah. the story. And so Jared Harris is the main, the main character. He gets, he's one of the scientists that get brought in and he's just like, this is fucked. And he's trying to tell people and they are not listening. And they're like flying helicopters over the site with him in it. And he's like, we shouldn't be doing this. But they're like, we'll brush it under and everyone will be fine. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. Mm. Um, but one of the things that really stood out to me is the sound because mm. the sound mm. is incredible. And then, Karen, you told me that your friend did the sound. Oh, yeah. So, um, and is this Karen's notebook? This is my notebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scraping in. <laughs> with, um, yeah, yeah. Because um, I didn't really have anything. So, uh, but the sound, I thought this was a great um, connection. What I do know is that um, the sound design is the Icelandic cellist and composer Hilda Guthnadoita and um, she is amazing she um, actually played in New Zealand in 2011 and I was part of this committee called Alt Music that kind of looked after touring experimental musicians and showed them around and kind of helped put on their shows and I happened to be in Littleton when she was there and so we spent a bit of time together kind of having picnics and sort of doing things like that but her show was um, amazing as well And so what actually happened was, um, so when they were filming scenes in Lithuania uh, for Chernobyl, um, she was actually there with them in real time while they were filming. And um, so they were in a decommissioned power plant. And she went in with Chris Watson, who I'm also a really big fan of. He's um, a field recorder. He's like the master field recorder. Does a lot of stuff for BBC and David Attenborough's shows. But he was also in an amazing... um, post-punk group called Cabaret Voltaire that people may know. Um, he's one of the founding members. So they worked together in this um, power plant and um, made these amazing kind of field recordings. So it kind of lends to that eerie glacial kind of atmosphere. Would you say that? Yeah, the, a lot of the sound is, you know how um, when you have the radiate, people have these radiation mm. um, meters and then it's like when it gets way up, it's like, like <laughs> the music's totally like that all the time. And it, and also, especially when you have scenes of these um, characters who are in really um, getting really deep into the core of mm. the explosion, um, they, they, they like hype that up heaps mm-hmm. so they're getting those sounds and it just adds to the tension you kind of feel like you want to hold your breath the whole time because you know that the air that the character's in is just like sucking into their their skin and their body and is going to affect them there's a lot of you know very slow motion scenes of children in the in the town um it's called priapit priapit i'm not sure how to um pronounce it they you know, they're sort of outside all the time. You think, oh, what's your life going to be when you're older? And it has that thing at the end. This is not a spoiler, but I love it. And it also happened in Rocket Man, which I just watched, was it has a montage at the end of, like, the real people and uh, next yeah. to the actors, and I just love that. Yeah, good closure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just feel so yeah. satisfied when that happens. It's just um, great. So I would recommend um, checking out anything that Chris Watson has done. I've been lucky enough to see him perform live as well at um, the Adam Art Gallery in Wellington, oh, cool. and um, he is um, the master, and I think it's a great combination, Hilda and Chris kind of working together and just I'd love to know more about the process that they went through kind of working in this decommissioned um, power plant and what that was like but yeah very atmospheric. Does it make you want to watch it? The, the oh show? yeah I'm, I'm really keen to watch it I just need to figure out 
where I'm going to source it from. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, just get the age old question. The, the, the people. Um, I would have watched it by now. But, yeah, yeah I love in, you know, how America has their, their summer releases. So you have The Handmaid's Tale coming out and all of these like deep stuff, and we get it in the depths of winter. Well, I it's think really that's nice. better, yeah. yeah. Sucks with them. All right, I've decided what I'm going to do, guys. <laughs> okay. We're ready for you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to do the thing that I wasn't sure if I was going to do it oh. or not. Okay. I'm going to talk about a very problematic piece of art, which is Lunatics by Chris Lilly. Um, mm-hmm. So Chris Lilly, um, he was the creator and star of Summer Heights High a few, quite a few years ago now. It must yeah. be like a decade ago. And I would say that Summer Heights High, looking back, is pretty problematic because mm-hmm. um, he plays all the characters. He is a white man. Uh, and not all of the characters in Summer Heights High are white. Notably, there's Jonah from Tonga, who mm-hmm. was at the time a very beloved character, but looking back, it's quite sort of sickening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I still think that, that Chris Lee has a lot of comic brilliance and can convey a lot of empathy to his characters, but I just think he makes some really fucking bad choices, <laughs> and that is still the case in Lunatics. So Lunatics mm-hmm. is available on Netflix, I, you know, it kept on popping up in my sort of like, you can watch this. And, you know, I decided to have a go, a crack at it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I necessarily recommend it, but I thought people might be interested to know, you know, what it's like to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conceit of lunatics, it's very basic. It's kind of what it says on the tin. Um, it, it, he plays, again, you know, he plays an ensemble cast. They're all in different countries, I think, a lot of them. Most of them are in Australia, actually, because he is obviously an Australian comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them have got that really, like, broad Queensland sort of accent. That was, you know, a bad interpretation. Nimbin. But... <laughs> 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 um, and he is really good at playing those kind of, like, true blue Aussie characters. Yeah. Um, um, and each character is either um, an eccentric um, and those are the better. Those are the better characters. They're the least problematic, or someone with like a genuine mental health issue, which is pretty painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Or there's one person who has like um, a disability. She has extremely long legs, um, extremely large long legs. And is it's that a po- is it a real disability? I don't or? think so. And right. it's just like the legs are really like ridiculous. <laughs> The legs are like giant tree trunks. There's people with l- big legs, like elephantitis stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like that, but they're also like about like, <laughs> they're like stilts. They're really fucking long. She's like six foot, she's like seven foot three. So it is very ridiculous and exaggerated, but it's still making fun of someone with a physical deformity. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. and also it's not that funny, that segment, in okay. my opinion. But mm-hmm. what I'll, I'll talk about the segments that I think are more successful, mm-hmm. one of which is um, a retired... Um, this woman who is retired and she was Australia's most famous porn star and she now is a hoarder and she's wow. very charmingly conveyed. You know, she's got this like gorgeous kind of blonde hair and she, you know, she's, it's Chris Lily in a wig, so she's not, but she still is quite, he conveys her sort of aging beauty mm-hmm. and, um, you know, she's, she's a hoarder. She has a friend who was a model with her before she went down this kind of different porn star path. And, um, you know, she's got little miniatures everywhere and um, she kind of, the camera, it's kind of shot in this, in that kind of mockumentary style and the camera's following her. And whenever she moves around the house, she kind of does it at this really fast shuffle and it's just kind of racing after her through the house. And, you know, you see her going out to get the mail and then she comes back into the house and she says into this speaker system that she's got hooked up, you know. Just like everyone to know that the mail's arrived. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it. I think that it's 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 kind of unfortunate. I think Lunatics, the conceit is bad. I mm. think that it's just it's bad. It's bad art. It was badly conceived. I don't know why Netflix let him do this show. It's like a Netflix original. Why do you think? Like what? Because do you think I think is? he has brilliance, and and those there mm. are moments of brilliance. I just think that he he makes really bad choices, mm. and it's a real shame because stuff like the porn star segment, the aging porn star segment, is quite touching and lovely, and I think that art about eccentrics that's lovingly done can be really great mm-hmm. um, but sort of broadly making fun of people with disabilities or mental health issues it less so um, again another segment that is probably more successful is um, a dog psychic in South Africa right who's also you know like a really um, like 
uh, she's apparently just cleans up on the lesbian scene and she has like, you know, this, these great caftans and, you know. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I wanted to talk about it, but mm. I don't know if I necessarily recommend it. Um, well, it's hard, right? It's also a little bit like Little Britain as well. It is quite a lot like that. And I think that sort of stuff's not aged well. No, <laughs> just thinking about say. League of Gentlemen. <laughs> we were talking about League of Gentlemen earlier because... Karen kind of fell backwards in a seat and I said, legs akimbo, <laughs> which is a really great skit from League of Gentlemen. Yeah. Um, kind of wish I'd recommended that instead, yes. but it's old and Chris Lee's thing is new. And people want, might want to know what it's like and maybe you want to give it a miss or maybe you want to check out a little bit of it. Mm. Mm. It's hard, that kind of stuff, eh? You just yeah. don't know. And also reflecting on what you liked. And what, you know, when mm. Summer Heights High was, mm. I used to watch that just thinking that was hilarious. And then, like, reflecting your on what you thought, you're like, no, it's not, <laughs> not good. Yeah, and yeah. actually, not that funny. <laughs> like, yeah, well, looking it's back. Funny how or, like, you that's one of the funny. least, the yeah. racist bits are the least funny bits. Yeah. Because it almost seems for too lazy in your yeah. filmmaking, right? It it's is lazy. Like fitting to stereotypes and. Um, racial stereotypes mm. and, and it's mm. just um, yeah it is actually not that funny that sounds pretty bad yeah that, yeah. Not that oh, Summer Heights High yeah yeah, it has not aged well but it, it's interesting with Summer Heights High because also Jonah is the heroic character of that whole show yeah, he's the protagonist the and he's yeah. the one who kind of gets his I, I can't admit I don't think Chris Lee comes in it with a, with an evil intention or a, he, I think no. he's trying to do something, but I don't know if it quite works. Or like because of his privilege as a white man, it kind of comes across as not how he thinks. Yeah, he's not the person who's going to be negatively, negatively affected by <laughs> by Tina dropping her phone on, yeah. on the ground. <laughs> so great, um, great um, not books reviews, guys. Shall we move on to yes. the to be read pile? Yeah. Just a quick means. rave about what we're um, excited about reading and what we're currently reading. Um, who wants to go first? I, I can go. Yeah. Um, my next three books, I have everything lined up very, because um, mm-hmm. I have my pile on the floor next to the bed, but then I have my pile on the bedside table. The immediate but pile. The immediate pile. Yeah. So I'm going to be reading The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. That's Yay. for my book club on Monday. That um, book club that uh... Karen's not invited. Yeah. yeah. It's a strictly Karen Das free zone. Um, it is, I think, only 120 pages, so I'll speed through that. That's going to be great. And then I'm going to read The Years by Annie Erno <gasps> because it's just hyped right into that top part. And then I'm really excited about this book called Furious Hours by Casey Sepp. I'm hoping to review that on RNZ in July. Um, and this is a true crime. It's about this Alabama serial killer that Harper Lee was... Um, really like obsessed with mm. this trial and she sat in on the trial and she was hoping to write her own in, um, in cold blood um, but it never quite came came to and so Casey Sepp has stepped in there and written um, about this serial killer. Great premise. Yeah, really good, really good. So um, that's what I'm going to be reading over the next few weeks. Great. Thanks, Tina. Am I next? You go yeah. on. Okay. So um, <laughs> what I'm currently reading at the moment is The Man Who Saw Everything by Deborah Levy, who anyone who knows me knows that she is one of my favourite writers. I absolutely love her. She's been shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize twice. Give her the bloody booker because she's yeah. amazing. And she, um, this is publishing by Hamish Hamilton, um, end of August. So um, keep an eye out for this. I'm... Um, how many pages am I through? You uh, look like you're about halfway through. Yeah, or? yeah, almost halfway through. It's 63 through. pages through and I am absolutely loving it so far. It's set in 1989. Um, That's when I was born, sorry. <laughs> and it's um, based around Saul Adler, who's a narcissistic young historian and he's hit by a car on Abbey Road. Um, and anyway, then he actually heads over to study in communist East Berlin um, two months before the wall comes down. And I'm just immediately plugged into this book. It's got this amazing dry kind of crack up humour and yet yeah, really loving it. So Do you yeah. picture her writing that in her little shed in, in the garden? Shed, yeah. yeah. So um Deborah Levy's doing this amazing thing where she writes a novel and then she writes an instalment of what she calls her living memoir. So the first one was Things I Don't Want to Know, which was written about her forties. Um and then after that she wrote um it would have been Hot Milk the novel. 
And then she wrote The Cost of Living, which was the other instalment of her living memoir based around her 50s. And now she's written this, The Man Who Saw Everything, and the one that she's working on after this is another instalment of her memoir, which is going to be about her 60s. Um, So, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, love Deborah Levy. Yeah. What do you think of the cover of that book? Oh, it's really bad. Yeah. It is... um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a really bad cover. Very disappointing. It's because... got a sort of ombre effect. <laughs> it's yeah, I'm disappointed because her covers are normally really great, really strong. This has got, um, I guess, it kind of fits in with what the book's about because the guy um, is a very kind of rock starish looking, beautiful young man with black hair and very pale skin, and. Um, what she keeps referring to is his intense blue eyes, and um, that's what the guy there. It's instead of the like, like <laughs> the sad woman walking away, it's like the sad man walking away. Yeah, yeah. Um, the his ex girlfriend in there describes him as looking not like David Bowie, but like David Bowie's guitarist Mick Ronson. Um, yeah, not a very good cover, but it doesn't matter. It's Deborah Levy; she can do it's whatever a good the fuck f- she it's wants. It's a good font. Yeah, it's a great font. Yeah, um, give it that. And, uh, on the to-be-read pile, actually, I was going to read Celestial Bodies, um, but then as soon as I got given this, I was like, nah, I'm dropping everything, sorry, and I'll read mm. Celestial oh, Bodies yeah. after. Go back, go back. That's good. Um, and I will, yeah, so Celestial Bodies yeah, I want to read um, Celestial Bodies too. by Jocka Alhathi is next after this, and then after that, um, I'm like, Jenna, I have a kind of schedule, um, is Sweet Home by Wendy Erskine. Um, this is a beautiful edition. Great and cover. I have been waiting for this for bloody months like honestly I think I asked for a reading copy in November um, and I keep asking and nothing's happening I got so fed up Um, like where is this book it's actually publishing any day now it's publishing very soon um I've been waiting and waiting. There's been buzz from all the right people and all I've the right places. I've heard of this novel, and I feel like it was a while ago. It's um, a collection of short stories. Oh, okay. Um, and well, not a novel. Yeah, there's, it's published by Picador. But um, I got fed up um, waiting for it, and I put something on um, – I can't remember where I put it, maybe Twitter or Instagram, saying, look, oh, well, you know, I'm looking forward to reading Sweet Home by Wendy Erskine. <laughs> Um, I've asked for a copy from my rep. It's not happening. And she wrote to me and said, why don't I just send you one? So she sent me a copy. And I'm really thrilled because it is the beautiful UK edition. Did she put her name Wendy and then in brackets Erskine? Yeah, so... (laughs) Just so we're clear which Wendy it is. I really love this um, inscription. Karen, I really hope... That this is a book you will enjoy. All the very best, Wendy, in brackets, Erskine. <laughs> Just in, Bless yeah, like, I know who you are because I think you're amazing. <laughs> um, I read one of her short stories in a great anthology called Being Various, um, which is new Irish short fiction, which is a great anthology that's just come out and I'm really excited about dipping into this. There's a quote on the cover from Lucy Caldwell who um, edited Being Various and she describes these short stories as whip smart and witty and tender and wry so I'm really looking forward to diving in and I'll probably review this maybe the next podcast. Yeah, looking forward to it. How exciting. Yeah, so thank you so much, Wendy. Um, Okay, my my, my turn at the TBR pile. Um, So I... um, I also have the new Deborah Levy on my pile, but I literally just finished Lost Children Archive, so I don't have one on the go, so mm. I don't have much to say. So you're in a blink. I'm in Do a, you think you'll read I'm the Deborah Levy? Yeah, 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 for sure. Next. I definitely will. I really enjoy her stuff. But mm. maybe not next, because I might take a little break and buy and read um, a little number that I picked up at a secondhand bookstore in Hamilton with uh-huh. Jenna recently. Yeah. Prep. By Curtis, is it Sit and oh Field or Sit and Foul? Short stories? No, or, no. no. I love prep. I well, it love, says love, on, love it. It says book. on the cover that it's Donna Tart meets um, the, the OC. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Donna Tart wrote the Secret History. The Secret History meets, that's that's an an secret history meets the OC, and that that is so up my alley. 
because didn't she used to um she was affiliated with the IIML so she has a relationship yeah, yeah she has a relationship with um ah. Wellington writers oh really I yeah didn't know that. yeah um but I'm super excited to read that oh. and it came out quite a long time ago and it's got the most hideous the cover. The worst cover Is you've just ever pink? seen. No, uh, it's a black and white photo. It looks like a still from Gossip Girl. Like yeah. it's got like a it's got like a kind of hot nineteen year old in a beret or some shit. Yeah, holding like some looking, books. Looking wistful. <laughs> but it's like black and white, but the beret's red or like kind of maroony color. Oh, Is that? It's it? just such a bad cover. It's I mean it's quite old, but it was bad at the time. Yeah. I think as well. But um, regardless, I'm really looking forward to cool. reading that. Reading something. Reading something that's backless. Something that I've been meaning to read mm. for like. Yeah. Ten years, and I just look. I just know I loved this book. I've told Louisa for years to read this, so and, we, and we were in the secondhand bookstore, and like she like kind of thrust it at me and was like, "Buy it." Yes, ah. yeah. it's about um these this young woman who goes to college, and she's just kind of on the peripheral of everything, and she it's the, she she knows everyone's names, but no one knows who she is, and she ends up having this kind of secret relationship with the like hot guy. Um, who tells her not to tell anyone that they're, they're sleeping together. Kind of mm. like a normal, normal people. people. Um, yeah. And and so she's just so torn up by this because they have these really intimate moments, but it's a complete secret. And she's just she's just invisible. It's such a good book. It's oh, a really good coming of age. Sounds novel. great. Yeah. Can't wait to read it. It's going to be such a nice holiday Might for have to my read brain. It after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring yeah. it. Just wanted to add something to that, if I may. <laughs> just uh, the little uh, bookshop that you keep referring to. Yes, browsers. I was about to oh. say in Hamilton on um, Victoria Street. They've got beautiful new premises, but that was the first bookshop that. I ever worked in. Yeah. Um, so a big shout bookstore. out to Rachel Pope who manages that shop because I think she listens to paper cuts. Oh, and hey. um, Rachel is wonderful and Browsers is honestly like a oh, superb bookshop. What a place. Oh, and it's yeah. the, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. Louisa and I went on this great road trip to Hamilton to oh see God, our friend we had Claire. Such a great time. We went to the Hamilton Gardens. We went, went to, to a, a cat, cat show. show. <laughs> we went to Browsers. We went and looked at the Rocky Horror statue. We just sat, and we sat in a spa for a very 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 long Until time. We became prunes. Yeah, and it was just glorious. And the browsers was just lovely. Such a great layout. Yeah. yeah. Oh, such so, a beautiful um, time. Yeah, fully recommend Hamilton. Um, yeah, but uh, is that is that us? I us. think that's us. So look, thank you, Tina, for putting up with us as always. Yeah, and I feel like this has been a long one. A long one. Nah, we're right. Okay. And uh, thank you to the Matatui Foundation and um, for supporting us and the spin-off books. You can like and subscribe, don't forget, on Instagram, Twitter, and email. We're Paper Cuts Pod across all of those. That's right. And hi to Gianna, who just sent me such a oh, nice yeah. message yesterday about um, just write, listening to the Writers' Festival podcast yesterday, which is nice to think that it has this life, life. beyond when we record it. And, and she was... She loved that Fiona listens to our podcast. Yeah, we Hi, love Fiona, that if you're too. Still here. Hey, Fiona. And she loved Elaine's um, being an extra extra team member, which she was a wonderful team member. She was. Yeah. Part of the band. We miss you, Elaine. Yeah, come back. Okay. okay, well, that's, that's us. us. See, See you, you in fun. July. Bye. 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 Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.